Hi, I'm Gerds Hundel, acclaimed health journalist, turned motivational speaker and transformational coach. This show is for anyone who wants to lead a happier, healthier and inspired life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can become a soul warrior. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Inspired with Gerds podcast. I'm your host and today I have a beautiful soul on the guest who I just fell in love with from the moment I interviewed her last time. She's an amazing soul. The work that she do is just absolutely out of this world and just the way she sees life and the way she helps her clients. It's just so beautiful. I just love her. <laughs> um, we had her on the show a few months ago and the work that she does is just so powerful and I really want people to understand some of the things that Heather will be saying today because a lot of us don't realise where a lot of our health problems come from and Heather just has so much knowledge and expertise in this area. And for a quick reminder for anyone who missed that show, her name is Heather Dane. She is a health coach and 21st century medicine woman who combines ancient wisdom from her Native American lineage with holistic health and nutrition. She's co-authored two books with Louise Hay, Loving Yourself to Great Health and The Bone Broth Secret, which is just absolutely amazing. Heather also has a Hay House radio show, Loving Yourself to Great Health, and she believes we can all heal from the inside out. Heather, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show again, and thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be here, Gerds. Uh, another opportunity for us to have fun talking about health. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved our interview last time, and it was just amazing. And like listening about your story, how you transformed your life. Yeah, you know, I love talking about the bone broth secret and how you're helping people. So like the way I kind of see it, like a lot of the listeners were calling in saying, give us more about Heather, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that I just, I would love for you to talk about is Indigenous healing secrets and how the listeners can kind of tap into this. Okay. I think it's a, a great question. And I actually, um, I, I think we may have talked about my Native American background in our first conversation. Um, I am Haudenosaunee, which is Iroquois. People know it better as the Iroquois Confederacy. I am Oneida Nation, and I am a member of the Wolf Clan. And I, uh, I grew up, I'm second generation off the reservation, so I did not grow up steeped in my culture, but I grew up with some of my culture, and I grew up um, visiting my cousins who did grow up in the culture, so I got a little bit of knowledge and understanding. And I think the biggest thing that I got growing up was as I listened to the stories told by my relatives, I would, I was really developing a, a different mindset about health and healing. Uh, food is medicine, uh, nature uh, that we, we believe that nature is our relative. And so we talk about grandmother moon and mother earth and elder brother son and every, every plant, every animal, everything that has been created has a voice, a meaning, and a power. And so there was always this feeling of having a, a deep relationship with everything around me because of what I learned from my relatives. And we talked in the last discussion about how early on I had quite a few health issues. Yeah. And my great my grandmother had type 1 diabetes. And diabetes is very prevalent in indigenous populations, particularly Native Americans, 
after they went off their native diets and started eating what they call a colonized diet, which is really just the diet that came into play when they were put on to reservations and, and their hunter-gatherer ways of eating were sort of taken away from them. Their culture was taken away from them. Many Native Americans were put into boarding schools to to become uh, Christian and to cut their hair and to take their culture and their language and their names mm-hmm. away from them. And so there was a lot of loss of their 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 indigenous knowledge and their ways and their culture mm-hmm. that really kept them healthy and grounded. And when they began eating these processed foods that had nothing to do with the foods that they grew and hunted and ate, their health started to go downhill. And I think it was more than just losing their food. It was losing the connection to the earth and losing the connection to community and their culture. We know today from studies, like in Scientific American, they did a study that showed that healing, that rituals are healing. So our rituals that we all have in our backgrounds, the things that our ancestors did have a healing quality. And any of us who take part in those rituals have an opportunity to experience that healing. And we know from neuroscience and psychology that stories aid healing. And there was a lot of, in indigenous cultures, stories being passed down. It was really an oral history. And there was a lot of stories and story is metaphor. Recently, somebody said to me that before... Um, before the Europeans came to the United States, a squirrel could hop from tree to tree from one coast to the other. And when you think about what that means, you think that how many trees were there? There were a lot of trees. And and it brings a visual to mind about what it might have looked like before we started um, cutting them all down and creating cities and things like that. And I, I think that story brings with just one little sentence like that, it brings all of these ideas to mind about what it must have been like. And that's one of the reasons I think stories bind bind lessons together and bind us together in our in our history. And and it's amazing the amount of healing qualities that story has. And story has always been an incredible part of Native American medicine. Mm -hmm. So I kind of watched all of this stuff growing up. And as I started to have health issues, I began watching very carefully the threads of and patterns of health issues in my family. I watched my grandmother with diabetes and what was happening with and what would happen with her health as she went into a diabetic coma and kind of what that whole process looked like. And I watched my father, my sister, and I, as our blood sugar dropped and how it would almost feel like we became a different person when that happened. And people say, people laugh and talk about hangry when you're angry and hungry, (laughs) you know, and, and it it actually really did feel like being taken over by an angry monster (laughs) and that, and somebody other than who I really was. And I watched these things going on in my family and I began wondering at an early age, why is this happening? And why Mm -hmm. does it seem to be surrounding the way we're eating and, and how we're, how we're approaching our lives. And as my health went downhill and I started to have digestive issues and depression and bulimia and um, gallbladder disease and all these things piling on as I was, as I was going through life and nobody really able to, to figure out what, what the root cause of it was, I began studying and looking at different forms of healing, Native American medicine being one of them. And one of the big things in Native American medicine is this idea of unfulfilled desires of the soul. So we look at food. We, what are you eating? You know, how is that affecting your body? We look at, um, story and what is the story that you're telling yourself? What is the story that you're telling yourself about your health and about your life and about who you are? 
and we we look at what are those what does your soul really want and are you living in that direction is that what you're doing because most of the time what i've learned as i work with my clients is that when there's an illness or a trauma that seems like it's not resolving oftentimes that illness or trauma is forcing us to take a look at how we're living our lives and make big changes and it's easy today because so many people are changing, looking at changing their diet. It's sort of, we think about that. That's a normal thing to think about. But we don't always think about, well, what am I doing with my life and what is it that I really want to be doing mm -hmm. deep down in my heart and soul? When I ask my clients that a lot of times, especially if they're like really get it done type people, type A, they're really successful, high performers or highly sensitive, ener energetically sensitive, even psychic, they have a hard time going in to their body and finding out what they want to do. Mm -hmm. The get it done people have always been following all the rules and that was their path to success. And they've gotten, they have great jobs and high status jobs. And, you know, to think about giving up a job like that is, you know, well, everybody would think they were crazy if they wanted to do something other than that. And how would they pay the bills and all of these things come up. And for people who are energetically sensitive, they're often um, so much in other people's energy because nobody teaches us how to stay in our own bodies and be in our own energy. <laughs> they're so often in other people's energy that they almost forget themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they're going through life in other people's visions and in other people's rules and in other people's energy. And so we're sort of deconstructing that process in the coaching, um, in our coaching relationship to find out what it is that they really want to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this kind of coaching for 12 years, but in the last five mm -hmm. years, I've been studying epigenetics, and that is the study of um, what is happening outside of our genes that's affecting our health. Because in 1998, a 10-year study started. It was actually the early 90s. Um, it, it called the Human Genome Project, and scientists from all over the world took part in this, and they really believed that they were going to prove that our genes determined our health. Mm. And they debunked themselves by finding out that, in fact, only about 5% of our health is determined by our genes. <laughs> and the other 95% is, in fact, our thoughts, our food, and our lifestyle. And that we therefore have more power in our hands to change our health. Now, there was a time in New Age thought that if we got had a health issue or something was going wrong, that we weren't being spiritual enough. There was a, I don't know how that belief came about. But there was a thread of that going through the New Age community. And that is not at all um, what I believe, what people like Louise Hay believe, what, mm -hmm. what a lot of um, people who, have, who started these, I, uh, these um, the thinking that if you change your thoughts, you can change your life. It was not ever supposed to be the only way that you can tell, tell the world that you're spiritually perfect is if you're in perfect health and have a perfect life. <laughs> We're humans. We're having a human experience, you know, and so we can be spiritual beings, but we are, we're having a human experience and the human body is, um, it's, it's has flaws. Mm -hmm. Um, we walk through life with stress and with, um, there's electromagnetic fields, there's toxins, there's all these things out there in the world that weren't there back in our indigenous days yeah. that we're walking through in our lives today that create stress. Yeah. <laughs> and that stress is 90% of what's behind of all illness. Yeah. So we're walking automatically when we wake up and we, you, we are, we have 123 toxins that the average person is exposed to. If you're not using clean organic 
personal care products like shampoos and lotions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So already the the general mainstream way of life is full of things that create stress on the human body. Mm-hmm. So how does one be perfect in any, have perfect health in any of that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's not easy. So, you know, when we heal, when we have a trauma, a lot of the healing process is sort of going back to our indigenous ways. We're, we're saying, you know, look, there's 123 toxins in personal care products that are on the shelf at the normal, you know, boots, you know, or at the pharmacy, <laughs> you know, so where can I go to get um, something that's more, where, where can I go to get something that's better for me that would be gentler on my body? And we begin peeling back all of the layers. And, and when we're doing that, we're eating a healthier diet and we're reducing stress. We're going back to the way our ancestors did things. They woke up in the morning. They weren't waking up to alarms. They were going to the bed when when it got dark and they were waking up when it got light and they were out in nature and they were waking up every morning and being in community tasks and they were helping each other and they were growing their food. So they knew what, where that food came from, from soil to, to final meal. They were hunting food. And when they hunted the food, they said to the animal, there were, you know, Native Americans have special dances for every animal. So, and they, they honored the animal and they believed a hundred percent that the soul went on. And so they gave thanks for the life that gave them life, whether it was a plant or whether it was an animal. And they did special dances and they made sure to honor the life of the plant or the animal by using every single part of that plant or animal and honoring and having dances and stories and meaning for every single food that they put into their bodies because they honored and revered the fact that this was fueling them. Mm. And it was a very different life and it was a very reverent life. And today we're irreverent, you know, <laughs> and to some degree where it, it can be fun to be irreverent about things, but, but they were very uh, honoring and respectful and reverent about everything that they did. And because of that, everything mm. they did had meaning. Imagine if we woke up and everything we did during the day had meaning. Yeah. That is and that's really what Louise was teaching with her affirmations and sort of when you wake up in the morning and you become aware that you're awake, thank your bed for being so comfortable Mm. and thank your body for waking up. And this is what native Americans did. We, we would wake up and thank the creator for the breath in our body and for the life that we have ahead of us and the day that we have ahead of us. Mm. And these are things that all indigenous people did. You know, when I look at Native American medicine, I look back across other forms of indigenous medicine, and there are principles that are threads that run through all of them that are very similar. And somewhere back in our lives, we were all indigenous at some point. And we're all, and when you think of epigenetics, your DNA, your genes are a blueprint of your body Mm -hmm. that that blueprint was created based off of your ancestors. And right now, when, when I look at someone's genes and I started doing this five years ago and studying epigenetics and functional medicine, and I began looking at my client's genes because what they tell us when I look at it is they tell me not only why the person is having the symptoms they're having, because I can now go right to the genes that are very likely the root cause of those, those symptoms, Mm -hmm. but it tells us what is missing. Why, why would that gene be mutated and that person have a propensity to have, say, diabetes? And what are the nutrients that are missing that would have made that gene work properly and would have made the enzyme do its job? So that I can say, okay, this person is, this is the gene that appears to be the root cause. Let's add in foods 
and supplements that help to build, say, magnesium or some of the B vitamins or copper or some nutrient that, that if we applied that nutrient into the body, if we were eating that, those foods or taking them in as supplements, we would actually be able to help that gene do its job. That's how, for how epigenetics or nutrigenomics, which is applying nutrition and, and supplements, and I also include lifestyle, that's how we u- utilize those aspects to deal with the 95% of your health that you have in your own hands. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, because stress is one of the big issues, we're talking <laughs> about lifestyle changes. Yeah. And you know this well, because you changed your lifestyle. <laughs> I changed mine. It was part of how we healed. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. Or oh, back in the day, like our ancestors didn't have, were telephones. Right. <laughs> yes. And I was, it was funny, the other day I was talking to somebody um, who was an Uber driver, and somebody was re- calling him, and he was getting really annoyed, and he said that he'd told this person that he was busy, and despite him saying that this guy kept calling him like four times in a row and I was just saying to him it's funny how when we were kids we only had one telephone and there was no voicemail so they would call and then they would have to call back later on however these days now if you don't answer a phone call they'll send you a text if you don't respond to a text they'll send you a whatsapp if you don't respond to a whatsapp you'll get a facebook message or some way saying is everything okay it's almost like we've forgotten how to respect each other's space and like privacy. Um, yes. And we want things really quick. Whereas in the olden days, it was letters. <laughs> yes. We, we were we were able to wait or we traveled to see each other back in indigenous days. Yeah. You know, we walked to see each other or got on a horse or something like that. You know, there were there were different ways of interacting. And you bring up a great point, Gerds, because um, it, it can be, that can also, what I find fascinating is we have all these ways to find each other, mm. you know, and be pesky with each other, as you said. <laughs> and, and at the same time, we're less connected. Yeah, that is so true. We feel less connected. We feel more alone. We don't know our neighbors. Yeah. Most of us don't know our neighbors. And um, we, we don't have the sense of community that we mm. used to have when things were slower. And I don't know if you've ever watched, there's a comedian named Sebastian Maniscalco. Mm. And he's hilarious because if you want to know how things have changed and just laugh about it, he talks about the difference in somebody ringing your doorbell 20 years ago and somebody ringing your doorbell today. Mm. Whereas you can imagine what's going to happen next. 20 years ago, the whole family ran to the door and you didn't expect the person to show up and you invited them in and and (laughs) cut some cake for them and sat down and said, you know, this is wonderful. And, um, and now everybody's hiding. Yeah. Everybody's saying, get down, hide under the bed. You know, everybody's afraid to answer the door. It's so true. And you see, it depends where you're raised as well. Like myself, I was raised somewhere in Leeds in the UK, which is, it's like probably about five hours drive away from London. Um, And London has a very different mindset. So my next door neighbor when I was growing up was like a third grandma to me. She used to bake apple pies with the apples that we had in our tree. And we used to go over and play the piano with her. And like, we had a great connection. Um, And unfortunately, when she transcended, um, it was, it, it was almost bizarre. She used to talk about us and we didn't know it was only till we went to the funeral that we realized how much she really how much we really cared for each other and she saw us as my brother and I as her third gra- uh, as her other grandkids wow. um yeah it was such a beautiful bond I, I I do see her as my third grandma like that that is the way I still see her till today um right. and then when I moved to London I didn't even know my neighbors like next door to me let alone down the street <laughs> right exactly 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, we we're busy, yeah. you know, I mean, this is not a, a, an opportunity to sit and feel bad about how we haven't gone next door to meet our neighbors, but, but just this idea that at one time, I mean, I, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and, and we were out we, we knew every neighbor. We could, yeah. we could name everybody in every house. We were over at people's houses all the time and <laughs> all of the kids were on each other's streets playing mm-hmm. every night. And it, you know, it, it's such a different life now that, and, and I've, as an adult, even when I live in a condo now in the city, but I use, I've lived in neighborhoods and houses and stuff like that. And I still didn't know my neighbors and we didn't have block parties and mm-hmm. we didn't go over to borrow you know, a cup of something from each other, a cup of, of something we were baking, you know, can I have a cup of sugar is the big one that everybody talks about. (laughs) But you know, we, we don't do those things anymore. We don't borrow things from each other so much anymore. We all have our own stuff and we aren't as interconnected and interdependent. And in the blue zones, one of the things they talk about for the people who tend to live up to the age of a hundred or, or, or longer than that, having community is one of the big things because it's having people you can count on and people, you know, have your back. And that's what, so that when one person is having trouble, the other ones are there helping to lift them up. Mm -hmm. And I think as humans, we need that. And we need that. We, we need to, to support and help each other. I think of, of women who have children who have a baby and they're back to work in three months and nobody's helping them. Mm. And, and in indigenous cultures, they were feeding them all of the, these wonderful foods like organ meats, which have every mineral and every B vitamin you can imagine. And guess what the baby is looking for when they're in the womb, Mm. they're looking for all your B vitamins and all your minerals. And if the mom doesn't have them, the baby will suffer and the mom will suffer. And that's where we get things like postpartum depression and babies who are um, starting to have challenges, you know, early on. And, and if if they used to feed the mom, these foods that would give them everything they needed so that the baby had everything she needed Mm -hmm. and, and everything, you know, so that they could have a healthy, a healthy birth, but is also a healthy um, nursing period while they were being breastfed. And the mom was delivering all those nutrients through breast milk. So that those nutrients creates the baby's immune system. So if the mom is deficient, the baby doesn't get a good immune system. And so I think a lot of what we're seeing today are moms who are deficient from conception through nursing, and then the babies aren't getting what they need. And this is what happens when we disconnect because our children, I don't have children, but I, I, I think children are our future and children are, um, if we're not giving them what they need, they're not able to grow up and have what they need to be calm and grounded. And I didn't learn because I didn't have a good digestive system growing up. And I was one of those babies who was born without a good immune system and without a good, um, set of, you know, minerals and all the nutrients I needed. I never knew what it was like to feel, I had to work hard to feel grounded and happy and calm. Mm. And I, I would do my affirmations because my parents brought the Louise Hay books in when I was little. Oh. So we grew up reading them and saying, what would Louise Hay say about that cold or sore throat or whatever? And I believed in all of that, but I worked hard. And it wasn't until I healed my digestive system in my early thirties that I realized I had this intense revelation. This is what it feels like to not have to work so hard just to get to ground zero of being happy, you know, that just to get a shred of feeling grounded. This is what it feels like to start the day with feeling good instead of starting the day feeling like I have an uphill battle to feel good. That's interesting because as you were saying that, it just it just got me thinking about 
like the world that we kind of live in um and so, like kind of the job like I used to do being a journalist and stuff a lot of it's very alpha male um and we don't realize that we're kind of almost transforming into like the male kind of qualities and not actually yes. embracing our like feminine essence and may, like I'm just thinking in my head like it, maybe that I guess that's linked to when the baby's being born as well because we're trying to be like an like in the city like a lot of people are trying to be like that alpha female that yes the nutrients almost get depleted in that way that, yes. That makes sense. <laughs> and it's true because it's stressful. Think of the stress that it's so, so your listeners and my listeners on Hay House Radio and on my Facebook page at Heather Dane Medicine Woman, um, we, our listeners are our community and, and we're, we're building this like, like-minded community of people who feel alone in the world because they don't think that way. Mm. And there's a woman named Ann Wilson Schaefe. Um, she, I, I'm interviewing her on my Hay House radio show in October and she believes that it, that it, society breeds addiction because of exactly what you just said, Gertz, is that we have this white male, uh, sort of linear, logical, almost automaton way of looking at life. And, and in order to be in that mindset, it's a mindset of controlling everything. You have to be in control of yourself and in control of your health and in control of your life and your schedule and all this stuff. And yet there's so much in life that we don't have control over. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about indigenous medicine and in indigenous medicine, one of the things that, um, the, the belief is that we have to learn the balance between the things that we can act on and plan and control and where we need to be led and where we need to be led or the, is, is the part of our lives that is the unseen and women and, and, and people who identify more with indigenous, um, cultures and and mindsets believe that there is an intuitive part of our lives that speaks to us. There is, uh, um, an unseen part of our lives that has power. Mm-hmm. And we, when we set intentions, we're setting those intentions in the unseen before we can manifest them in the seen world. There's this belief we plant the seeds and then they grow and they manifest, but we start in the unseen. Mm-hmm. And in Native American medicine, the unseen looks like a web. It's an interconnected web, like almost like think of the internet, you know, it's this interconnected web. And that is how we plant seeds in, in the unseen first. So whenever I am stuck, I go to my great grandmother, who was a clan mother in um, in the Oneida Oneida Nation, and she she died at 104 years old. And she, I go to her and I ask her to hold my hand and take me into the unseen, and help me find the solution in the unseen. And then I do a visualization and whatever happens, happens in that visualization. I like to take my clients on, on visualization journeys like that when, when they're stuck on something and we allow that to be the beginning point of, of, of resolving whatever the issue is. And it's amazing what starts to happen when people do that. Yeah. It just, you took me back actually. It's really interesting because my dad grew up in like an indigenous background and and he came to the UK a lot later than my mother and my mum came when she was really young but my mum's had that very stern like independent got to get things done um and I've noticed you you're right my my, (laughs) it's Chris sorry you just opened up my mind (laughs) I was like wow and my dad like 
you know, had those people around him, you know, it's like that back home in India, like um, families come together and you help each other. Whereas in the UK, it's very different, like in the Western world, um, you're kind of more or less by yourself and you've got to get things done. And so my dad, whenever any kind of illnesses would come, he would go towards the indigenous side. Um, my mum, because my mum was a nurse, she would go for for the kind of medicinal side. Yes. And he, so you got to see the difference. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. That's great. That's, That's really great. And I, you know, it's interesting because nurses tend to be a little more psychic. Mm. So, so nurses tend to operate more on intuition, even though they're not going to always tell you that. But, you know, my husband had a kidney stone. It was like an emergency and we were in, we were on vacation at the time. So we were in the hospital and I had his genetics up because I wanted to make sure that they used the right anesthesia for him. Cause we can tell from genetics what, um, anesthesias will work or not work for people. Oh, wow. And, and so I, they were going to remove the kidney stone and, uh, I was, I had his genetics up and I was just talking to the nurses and, and the, and the anesthesiologist and all these other nurses were wondering what was going on outside the room. And suddenly I had six nurses in the room surrounding my computer, <laughs> looking at the genetics and saying, Oh, that's 23 in me. You know, I've always wanted to do that. And we began talking about it and they were all excited and they all believed in epigenetics and they wanted to talk about it. And, wow. and it's in, the doctors, you know, they, they listened to me and it was fine, but they didn't have the curiosity and the enthusiasm that the nurses had. Mm. And I thought, isn't it interesting? Cause there are a lot of doctors now, not, not an, enough, I don't think, but there's more and more doctors who are starting to put epigenetics into their medical practice and, and mm. practicing functional medicine and u- utilizing more nutrition and lifestyle and, and supplements and things like that. And, um, I like that. I like seeing that the medical profession is starting to realize that there's more to health than giving somebody a pill. Uh, and, and so, but it was interesting that it was the nurses, you know, Mm. there they were. So it's, so your mom probably had more, more, um, intuition riding through all of that. And then you also had your father with the indigenous approach, which is great. (laughs) It's really nice. One of the things I wanted to say, Gerds, is that, um, I started talking about a concept called generational pattern shifters, uh, probably about six to eight months ago. And I began noticing the first thing I did when I was looking at epigenetics was I was doing lifestyle, uh, lifestyle and supplements and food. And then I began bringing more native, even more native American medicine. And we began rewriting stories and telling a new story and understanding the story of what this health issue or this trauma was. And I began to notice that there were certain people that I was working with who were what I call generational pattern shifters. And those are people who have, for whatever reason, raised their hand to say that through this illness or trauma, I am going to end patterns that have been passed through generations because we know from science today that emotions and trauma can be passed through the DNA. Yeah. And we see it through patterns that keep happening, whether it's mood issues or Mm. habits that have been passed down because parent passes it down to child and addictions that get passed down. We see these behaviors and things being passed down from trauma or from something that happened in the past. And so these are people who have raised their hands to say through this issue, I am going to stop the pattern. Mm-hmm. I'm going to heal in stopping that pattern all generations before me and all generations after me. And what I find in these people is that they're also, their families are being affected 
um, they're being benefited by the steps that this person is taking in their lives to heal themselves. Mm. And they're, um, if they don't have children or they don't have anybody to pass it down to, they're going out to heal the sacred family. So I think of Louise Hay when I think of this, because she grew up in a household with a lot of trauma and abuse Mm. and she left Mm. at, in her early teens, she went out on her own and she learned how to think differently and she learned how to live her life differently. And while she didn't have children to pass that on to, she went back home and got her mother out of that house and said, you don't have to live your life this way and you don't have to think this way anymore. And she took care of her mother and helped her change the way she was thinking till the end of her life. Mm -hmm. And then she wrote books and taught the rest of us that we can change the way we think and that can change our lives. And that's a generational pattern shifter. Now, one of the things Louise always said is she loves the oddballs. (laughs) She loves the ones who are different because they're so interesting and she's so intrigued by them. And I find that generational pattern shifters are are the oddballs. They're the ones who feel like they don't fit in. (laughs) They feel like they might not fit in in their family. I find that there's one in every family And if they choose to do this work, it's deep and sometimes very difficult work. But once they move through it, they transform in huge ways. Um, It's usually people who um, they may have stepped foot on their homeland, and that's when the health issue or trauma came to their, into their bodies and minds. It may be that it's just a, a health issue that came to mind. It may be somebody that like, like for me, I felt despair for no reason. I didn't know why I felt despair. And I began thinking, why would I feel this way? And I realized as I looked back at my family, I thought, well, maybe it's because in my Native American family, all of their land was taken away. And in our nation, all of the land was taken. We were living on a neighboring nation's land. And it wasn't till my great grandmother and her sister put in a land claim case to the federal government that we started the, the process of getting our land back. But but we had no land. And so I thought that was it. But then later I found out that my great grandmother and my grandmother were both in um, Native American boarding schools oh, wow. to take away to sort of take away their their um, culture. Mm-hmm. And I found out that my grandmother, I've, I haven't heard all the stories, but I've heard some of them. And my grandmother at nine years old, they had a lot of chores in those schools. And at nine years old, she was to do the laundry for the school and she didn't get all the soap out of the laundry. So they locked her in a dark basement for an entire summer. What? What? And um, these were the things that were happening and, and worse to these children. And so now I understand There's so much more that I understand about her Mm -hmm. and about, you know, the loss of culture. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I spent a week in um, some some uh, home in in my homelands in New York with 200 Haudenosaunee women getting together to reclaim our voices as women and to reclaim our culture. Mm. And we spent the several days in culture and ceremony and in prayer and outdoors in nature and having food that what that we ate back then including this corn this oneida white corn that has been brought back to its original um state which has nothing to do with the corn any of us know about today it's nothing like the corn any of us have access to today it is a completely different species of corn mm-hmm. it's more protein it's a different 
species. It's, I was amazed because this was my first time. I had heard a lot about it, but it was my first time eating it in a meal. And we ate a, a meal that was indigenous to us. And that night, my cousin, who did grow up on the reservation and did grow up in, in the culture, she asked me, would you like to come and sleep in the longhouse? Because some of the women, the clan mother and some other other women are going to be sleeping in this longhouse, which is uh, the house, the type of style of house that we lived in is Haudenosaunee people. It means people of the longhouse. And so I, I was a little nervous at first because, you know, from our last conversation that I have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and it is a collagen disorder that for me, and while I've had many of the 40 plus symptoms in this untreatable, incurable condition, um, I, um, I've managed and healed almost all of them with nutrition and with my lifestyle and, and with my sort of nutritional habits. And I thought to myself, as she asked me, do you want to stay in this long house? And, you know, it's like going way back in time and the beds are raised on and they're raised and they're sort of like, like thick branches. So we're sleeping on these thick branches. <laughs> and, uh, and she, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to do my routines, my green drink in the morning and all these things that I do before bed and in the morning to keep my digestive system healthy. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So let's do it. And I went and slept in the long house and it was not that comfortable, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience. And, um, and to be, to, to have six women in this long house, like, and, and as we were drifting off into sleep, a couple of them were speaking and I felt like I was back going back in time. And while I was oh, listening to their voices while drifting off to sleep, I could feel my digestive system working wow. and moving. And when it's not moving, I can tell because it's like it's paralyzed, but this, my digestive system was moving and I hadn't done all of my routines and it was moving because the food that my ancestors ate (gasps) gave them everything they needed so that I wouldn't have a genetic condition like that. So if we ate like our ancestors, we would not be in the pickle that we're in today. Or we would be less in the pickle that we're in today with our health because they knew what to eat. They had a, a deep relationship and connection to the land and they had deep intuition and guidance mm-hmm. and and practice every single day and if you think of uh, like having a job like what our jobs are and how we've developed expertise in our jobs and sometimes we can do them without even thinking and sometimes we're brilliant at certain things in our jobs mm-hmm. they were brilliant at knowing what the, the what the body needed and what the earth could do and and what plants could support good health and what animals could support good health and that's what they were brilliant at among other things they lived in the unseen mm-hmm. and they knew how to have these things, have these relationships with food that would help their body thrive. And so I got to have an experience of my body um, saying this, I, it, my DNA knows the language of this food. And our DNA is all based on what our ancestors ate and our, our DNA and all of the, the things that make us in quotes weak we weren't weak when we were indigenous in those places because we ate foods that fed them. Yeah. And we didn't have to have these things. We didn't have to have all of these incurable, untreatable genetic conditions because they knew what plants and what animals would help us um, heal and not, not get into an issue because they had a knowing of that. And when, when they started to feel bad, they would go find a food that would help them feel better. And then they would pass that down through their 
clans and their families. So I, I, there's just such a wisdom there. And if we were to go look at indigenous wisdom and Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, Native American medicine, um, ancient Italian and Albanian medicine, we go back and look at these medicines, we would see the wisdom and the brilliance in how they prepared food and the things that they put together mm. and what they did in order to help the body and how all of this technology of us being hyper high, high, having hyper hygiene and using antibiotic, everything on our hands and all of this stuff was actually stopping the healthy bacteria mm. from helping us be healthy and have good immune systems and our digestive systems to do what they needed to do to help us heal. All of these things they were doing with fermented foods and sourdoughing yeah. everything and using certain spices for, for, um, foods and medicines, all of the things that they were doing to take us back on journeys and help us connect. It was a constant connection to everything around us. Those, if we were doing those things and had time for those things, mm. we would not be in the situation that we're in today. And we would be able to find our way back through trauma and through health by, by connecting with all of the things that help us heal. This is just mind blowing because <laughs> you're taking me to another areas. <laughs> um, you're so right because I can remember a time back a few years ago where I kind of became an atheist. I went away from my culture. I, I was just trying to find myself because obviously I'm Indian, but I'm, I, I grew up British. It was, I always had like a lost identity. And yes. when I had that lost identity, my energy would deplete. And when I would start eating the cultural foods and some of the things that my mum would make, we didn't really always have Indian food like every single day. But when we would have it, I would feel really like balanced and connected. And a few years ago, I started going back to the temple. I never really understood like kind of the things that they would talk about. I would sit there and I'd be in a meditative state, um, mm -hmm. but I'd always feel calm and relaxed. And when I came back to it all, like, like you, just like you said, my energy levels just went up. Yes. It's it's so interesting how sometimes we want to run away from it because we're trying to find out who our identity is. How yes. we just need to remember those little things do help us. Um we are who we are and you know obviously our culture doesn't define us. Um however they still help us to heal. Yes. And that's why you know I when I started talking about all of these things, all of these people started emailing me and calling me and asking me where, where can I write, read about this? <laughs> and because this has been a deep part of my practice with my clients, I haven't written a lot about it. And so, um, a bunch of people were asking and I, I ended up deciding to teach, I'm going to teach a class about this at the open center in New York city on Saturday, October 28th. Um, and so if you want to, anybody wants to learn about that, you can go to opencenter.org and learn more about that class, or you can come to my website at heatherdane.com and I have information about the class. It's, it's a one day class. It's a full day of immersion in, um, in healing from an, from indigenous perspectives. And I am, um, I believe too, that your culture doesn't define you. And I also believe that we, we intuitively know where we need to lean into in terms mm -hmm. of our culture. Yeah. We know which areas we need to lean into. So the experience we're going to be having on that day is leaning into the areas where we need to lean into, to reconnect to our ancestors and to ancestral ways. And so while I will be teaching Native American medicine, I am actually going to be showing people how to reconnect to their own ancestral heritage, background, wow. rituals, food, and culture. And I also have, um, where I'm teaching this class with Amy Sher, who wrote the book, How to Heal 
yourself when no one else can among other books. And she's an energy therapist and she's really good at helping people clear inherited trauma. So we're going to do a whole day of clearing out, um, through a variety of different techniques, um, inherited trauma, generational patterns, and to shift that generational pattern and to also do what I, what I'm calling right now, creating a wolf pack. Um, (laughs) wolves, I love wolves. I mean, not only because I'm wolf clan, but, uh, but wolves are the, the ultimate, a protector of our ecosystem. And many people are afraid of wolves, but what wolves did in nature is that they would scan the ecosystem and find out where there were um, not enough plants and they would actually eat the animals that were, that were um, eating the plants that were endangered so that the plants could come back to health again. They, they were, they would scan the ecosystem and look for where it was out of balance. And through their, their habits, their eating habits and, and their, their general habits, they would, they would make sure that it was in balance so that the ecosystem could thrive because we need the ecosystem. We need a little bit of all of the stuff in our ecosystem. And the wolves somehow came in to do that work. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they have no natural predators. I guess they trusted their and intuition, right? It's like into it's like it, it's almost like one of those divine jobs that they were given yeah. to say you are you have no we're not going to give you a predator, but we're going to make you we're going to send you out to watch everybody and to make sure that that the ecosystem is healthy. Mm. And from a Oneida Nation perspective, from a clan perspective, the wolf the job of wolf clan members is to help people live the path that the Creator intended them to live. So it's to help people walk their sacred path. And I take that really seriously as a coach because I I feel that we all came here. I mean, our DNA is all completely different, which is why there is no one size fits all diet (laughs) and no one should make anybody feel guilty for what they feel like they need to eat for their health. Mm -hmm. I think that if we all focused on a zero waste mentality and went back to honoring all of the life that gives us life, we could stop participating in what I call a colonized food system Mm. where somebody with a male, I'm going to control you culture came in and decided to do mean things to our earth and to all of the beings on earth. We can separate from that and work only with the farms that are growing plants in ways that are, are healthy to the environment and to the plant itself and to the soil and animals that are living their native lives out eating their native diets and not this forced, um, issue of trying to force grow everything and putting GMOs into things and then splattering it with glyphosate, which is very bad inside the human body as well as the soil. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, if we could separate ourselves from all of the food system that promotes control and step into a place that is all about life and how life is supposed to be, and then honor that life by using all of it and not wasting, then we we have an entirely different relationship with food. And we can then feed our DNA in ways that help us heal because the medical system is not vegan. And if somebody's mm-hmm. going on the medical system and they're, they're in judgment of someone who's eating organ meat because they have anemia, Um, they're, they're, they're actually, and, and they're doing it from a zero waste perspective versus taking a medication or something like that. The medical system that we live in today is not vegan. It harms animals as well. So we have to find a way to get back into right relationship with all of life and all of life that gives us life and how we heal. 
And, and when I say that, I'm not judging people who take medications because everybody has their own choice and their own path. But we can deconstruct the sort of colonized and controlled system that we're in today and, and reconnect in a way that honors life in a much bigger way. So, um, you know, I, I, I just... I think that that if we brought meaning back into our lives and we we can't we we decided to honor what we came here to do and the fact that we are all unique and we're all oddballs <laughs> and some of us fit in better than others but the reality <laughs> is that we're all different in major ways if we could learn to honor and respect that yeah. as well and and do what we need to do to follow our path, we would enrich everyone else around us because we'd be healthier and we'd be happier mm. and we would feel safer and more secure in who we really are. Yeah. I just wanted to say, just going back a little bit about generational cords, when you were saying that, I literally was in tears <laughs> um, uh-huh. because I, I relate a lot with what Louise Hayes has gone through because I've kind of gone through like a similar experience. Um, and it, it is, I guys like out there, it, it's so important to look at your generational patterns because looking back at my own, I knew that mine stemmed from my mother, from my mother to my grandma to my great grandma. And I don't know where I got it from, but it was intuition. And I saw a pattern of how all of them were taking medications that they didn't really need. Um, And when I was able to look in from within and cut that cord and set another new kind of tone for myself, so then the next generation doesn't have to go through it, things just like cleared. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like, it's almost like a release on life. Um, And it's not their fault. If they knew better, they would have done better about it. Um, It's just unfortunately, the when you go away, like you said, from the cultural side, you kind of forget why certain things work for you and certain things don't, if that makes sense. Yes, (laughs) yes. Exactly. And, and also we change our health changes, a genetic switch turns on. We, we, you know, I turned 40 and all of the things that I did by the time I was in my early forties, all of the things that had been working to get my digestive system working again and to heal mm-hmm. all of the symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos, the rheumatoid arthritis, the depression, all the stuff that I had, the gallbladder disease, all the stuff that I had healed. Um, I started to have other problems mm-hmm. and I began to have prolapses of my intestines and which means your intestines are not where they're supposed to be in the body and they start to pseudo obstruct so that like nothing is moving and it can be life threatening. And so I, that's when I began to add bone broth into my diet so that I could fix that. And my, it was almost like everything lifted back up again. And I, and when I have clients who come to me from other countries where the doctors are telling them, get ready to die because you have something, because you have Ehlers-Danlos and it's in your digestive system and you're, prola- you're prolapsing or, or pseudo-obstructing or they want to feed the person through an IV, which is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is where I say we have to start looking at um, this incurable, untreatable. Don't, don't tell yourself you're getting ready to die. Let's work on your nutrition and let's work on some other things to see what can happen. And so I had to change the way I was eating so that mm-hmm. I could fix those health issues that I was having or else life was going to be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked. And, um, and so I, you, I say that to say we change, we aging changes us, mm-hmm. um, hormonal events, pregnancy, menopause, you know, all the, all these hormonal events change us. Um, we have a trauma in our lives or a major loss. It changes us. Mm-hmm. And that diet that might've been working or those supplements that might've been working suddenly aren't working anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to get, you know, really go into our bodies and say, what is it that I need? Mm-hmm. And maybe find places to reconnect 
with the culture that feels like it's the most healing because most of us are a mix <laughs> of things. You yeah. know, some people have been yeah. adopted, you know, but to go into that unseen and do some visualizing and, 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 and figure out through, let it come to you, let yourself be led. Yeah. You know, you can come to somebody like me and I can read your genes and we can really make a lot of progress that way. And it, it that shortcuts the process. But mm-hmm. I want this to be accessible to everyone and that and knowing that when you use your intuition and you and you honor your ancestry, you're actually affecting your DNA in a really mm-hmm. good way. Just had a random thought um, as you were saying all um, saying everything that if you believe you have that in illness, you'll feel it. Um mm-hmm. Because like myself, like, like this was my turning point is when I had um, a cancer scare, which was misdiagnosed. And when I got told that I potentially had a cancer scare, I started to feel like I had cancer. I started to feel sick. I remember just feeling not good enough. And then the moment I got the results that actually they misdiagnosed me, I just felt like, oh, wow, I'm fine. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that's, you're exactly right. You know, I've, I've gotten depressed about, you know, if I, when I had the new symptoms of in in my forties, because in in our forties, the collagen production goes down for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, um, everyone's collagen dramatically decreases. So for people who are having collagen deficiencies, um, they may start to feel like their muscle tone is going, their hair is falling out, their body's falling apart, teeth issues, bone issues, et cetera. Um, arthritis, you know, on and on. And, um, you know, it, if you get depressed about it, like I did and look, take some time to wallow. We all deserve a little bit of time to be depressed and wallow about the situation, but then we can lift ourselves back up and say, okay, I, I I know I'm going through this. What can I do? And that's where the hope comes back in. And we can start thinking about ways that we can, you know, honor the fact that this is where I am right now. And I accept this. And now I'm going to go about doing whatever I can to nourish and support and love myself so that I can heal. Yeah, And it's and, like- and so the mindset thing, like you said, I mean, you didn't even have it and you are, you know, so <laughs> even that, even, even those, those folks who are afraid because their parents had cancer and they think yeah. they're going to get it too, mm. you know, all of this stuff that those thoughts really matter. Mm. And the biggest learning I had was a few years ago, my dear, when um, I was working with some kids who had autism. Now, usually when anybody has like any form of disability or something that's slightly different, what they do is they categorize you and put you into a box. So before I've worked with young people that had um, autism and you kind of tell because they all kind of behave the same. And this Mm -hmm. time I went to a different place and oh my God, Heather, it opened my eyes in such a different way. These kids were, um, they were, they weren't, how can I put it? They weren't all together. They were mixing with other kids and you couldn't tell the difference because they had been taught that they were the same as everyone else. They behaved the same. And I think that is the the biggest issue that we have in society is that somebody gets labeled as something, especially like um, mind health. I don't like to say mental health because we all have some form of mind health. Yes. Um, And how when people from that, but like people say, oh, they've got, you know, bipolar disorder, they'll just put them into a box and everybody Mm -hmm. will think they're like that. Whereas if we just said that we were the same as each other, they wouldn't have those feelings of being by themselves or feeling that there's something wrong with them. Right. And usually the people who have depression, bipolar addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, those are people who are typically highly sensitive. And what I've seen in my clients is that they have a lineage of medicine people. Mm-hmm. And um, or some type of person who could sense psychics, whatever it is, there's a lineage 
from their background and they can actually go back and find that as they as they sift through their background that they have that lineage and what happens when we get into a sort of a colonized way of looking at things where we have to be in control and the unseen is you know there's witch hunts at some point in our mm. in our past and yeah. these things are people are too afraid of people who have these gifts this becomes like you know everybody labels them as mad and i've had clients who um are, have schizophrenia for example have had um, have been labeled as these things and have gone into psych wards. Oh. But the fact is that they're actually psychic. Yeah. And it, once they <laughs> honor their their lineage and they start getting into the right diet and taking care of themselves and keep themselves super grounded, they realize they can see dead people. Yeah. Or they realize that they're they're picking up on things and, and they realize that their parents were probably doing that too. And this is another generational pattern mm. that gets dra- that gets dragged down. And think of the fear and the um shame of being witch hunted or mm. burned at the stake or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And and then the fear of that whenever whenever when you're a kid and you say, I see grandma next to me and she's saying this and the parents are, are beating them or, or whatever they're doing because the parent could probably have done that too. Mm. And it was too scary. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I've seen this happen in people. And when you look at the genetics, you can see why, what the deficiencies are that would lead to something like bipolar or schizophrenia or anything on the mood spectrum. Yeah. So we can heal our minds through, um, applying the appropriate nutrients and also then, honoring this lineage that very likely these folks have yeah and I think when someone has depression like I I had it as well um and it's it it's not a bad thing I think in society people think it's it's like oh it's a bit scary and oh we shouldn't really talk about it however I think that with depression you've got to get to that point in order for you to to rise up and actually accept yourself and actually connect to the higher source that's what I yes. saw. I see that yes. that is what it's doing. It's making you get to that point, that awful point. So then you actually wake up and say, you know what? I need to do better. And you wake up with that energy of the higher power and you're connected to who you are. And then you know what you want in life and you're not going to kind of take crap. So you just you just talked about indigenous medicine, oh. right? You, can, you wake <laughs> up and you connect to who you are and you yeah. accept and you, lo- you love who you are. And, you know, that's, that's the waking up every day and bringing that, that mm. energy of gratefulness and love and self-love and self-care into your life. And that's, that's incredibly important. Um, and, and as you said, and now we know it's epigenetic. Now we know that that's mm. one of the things, because imagine how much stress you just let go of when you say that to yourself. Yeah. And shame and stress and doubt that you've let go of. You've just done an incredibly healing thing for your DNA. <laughs> wow. Wow. How brilliant is that? That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Wow. Sorry, you just you you have this you have this on me. I don't know. <laughs> I start thinking about so many things. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, oh wow, my dear, we are coming towards the end of the show. Um, I didn't realize the time. <laughs> um, I wanted to leave with just. Obviously, um, guys out there, Louise Hay um, transitioned the other day and um, obviously Heather wrote um, co-authored with her and they're really good friends. So I wanted to, Heather, if you can share your five great memories of Louise Hay. Okay, so it's hard to put it down to five, but I'll share five stories <laughs> that, um, you know, that I really love. I mean, the, fir- the first thing I want to share is when we first met. When we first met, I had already healed my body and I, I was in this sort of uh, personal growth and healing stage of my life. 
And I had just learned to really step into my energy and really, um, really step into who I was. And I showed up at this, uh, nutrition conference that I was working with a, a nutrition teacher to teach this conference in Malibu, California, which is sort of like a celebrity hideaway in the mountains overlooking the ocean. And all these celebrities came <laughs> and I'm not a starstruck person. So I didn't really care about that. And I was in the back room getting the goodie bags. Cause you know, you can't have a celebrity event without goodie bags. <laughs> so I was putting the goodie bags together and my friend who was doing the enrollment came running into the room and said, you'll never guess who's here. And I was like, you know me, you know, I'm not starstruck. And she said, it's Louise Hay. <laughs> and I, 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 my hand was on my heart and I said, the Louise Hay? And she said, yes. And we grabbed each other and started jumping up and down. And it's, it, to me, it was the most hilarious thing that, you know, Louise doesn't think of herself as a celebrity, mm. but all those people that were there that were like movie stars and stuff. And we didn't even care about that. All we cared about was Louise Hay was there and, mm. you know, the woman who's changed our lives. And, um, and so I was really excited. And so I went out we had a four day class together and it was full days. And, and at one point I loved Louise right from when I first met her. And and at one point she came up to me and she said, you know, you have a really special light about you. And she said, I really want to keep in touch. And I remember thinking, first of all, I was blown over by her (laughs) saying that. And so, um, in such gratitude that she would say that. And, and, you know, she gave me her business card and I gave her mine. And she said, the writing on your business card is too small, (laughs) which is Louise. She's got, she's such a great business person. You know, she doesn't say that, but she has all these great business ideas that are so natural and intuitive. And, um, she's like, you need to get that bigger writing on your business card. And so we exchanged (laughs) cards and we said we were going to keep in touch. And then I thought, you know, I lived on the East coast and she lived on the West coast and Mm. she's 40 years older than me. And I thought, how are we supposed to be keeping in touch? Like, what is this going to look like? And that's when I thought, you know, we could meet at the I Can Do It's the Hay House events because Louise had just started coming back. She was 79. She had just started coming back into the um, into the teaching again. And so she was at the I Can Do It. So I, we started meeting and I would get a hotel room that had a kitchen and I would make a really healthy meal. And, you know, when you're at those events, she's eating restaurant meals all the time. And it was she loved the the ability to sneak away from the event and have something that was really healing that was home cooked. Mm-hmm. So we, we started doing that several times a year. And then, okay. um, so that, you know, that was one of my first great memories. And then this, the second great memory is, I don't know if I shared this on our, our last call, but people may have heard this story before, but it's one of my favorites. When, um, Hay House called me and asked me to travel with Louise, it was 2013 that we started traveling together, maybe 2012, actually 2012. And we, um, they asked me and I said, oh, oh, of course I'd love to travel with Louise. So I packed my bag and I get to Toronto where she, she was doing teaching with Cheryl Richardson. And the first moment that I got there, she took me to a restaurant. She's like, I found a really healthy restaurant. We're going to go have a great lunch. So we went and as we were eating, she said, look across the street, look out the window. And I look out and there's this giant sign that says the condom shack. <laughs> And it's giant. And we started laughing and I looked at her and I said, you know, we have to go, don't you? And she goes, really? You know, she's like, let's go. Uh-huh. So we finished lunch and we go over there and we buy stuff, you know, we're in there. And 
my husband calls me an hour later when I get back to the hotel and he gets these notifications on the credit card so we can monitor for security. And he said, did you really spend $177 at the condom shack? <laughs> and, and we started laughing. And, and you know, of course, at, at that point, he's he's thinking, go travel with Louise whenever you want. You know, and we just had so much fun. And you know, the next day we were in the lunchroom at the I Can Do It, and um, she pulled uh, something out of her purse from the condom shack, and Robert Holden was sitting with us, and his eyes got big, and he was like, where did you get that? And she said, at the con- at this place called the condom shack, and I have to go back there because something's wrong, and I have to take this back, and, and he's like, you're not going back without me. <laughs> so the next thing is we're all in the elevator, and suddenly more and more people are showing up from Hay House wanting to come to the condom shack. And we've got this group of eight people. And Louise, like the Pied Piper, is leading us down the street from the hotel to the condom shack. And, of course, everybody's laughing and having a great time. Mm -hmm. So she's always doing these unusual things Mm -hmm. that everybody is laughing and happy. And she's so I always from that point on, we became shenanigan friends. Like we were always wanting to get into some shenanigan and some fun, you know, and, (laughs) and, uh, so that'll take me to my next memory on another trip that we were in New York city. And Louise and I, on one of the trips prior to New York city had watched, um, the remake of the great Gatsby on the plane home, but we were watching it without the sound. And we were looking at the clothes and we were marveling because she always loved the 1940s and the 1920s. And so did Mm -hmm. I, and we were marveling at how beautiful the clothes were. So for the trip to New York city, I had, um, an artist from Etsy make flapper feathers and I had them sent to the hotel and I, they came while I was there and I opened them up and I, I got them out and I went to her room <laughs> and she said, we're going to wear them to lunch. And, and of course we wore them to lunch and oh. we wore them to dinner and everybody was like, you know, Oh, what are, you know, we have to take your picture. And everybody was all excited. And they, and uh, people that didn't even know her in New York city were stopping us on the street and saying, what are you celebrating? And yeah. Louise said life. Oh, And I love that she was always doing that is that everything in life was a celebration Mm. and, and she didn't mind putting on flapper feathers and running around New York city and being, you know, those oddballs, the the ones having fun with giant smiles on their face. And everybody always smiled and stopped us. And everybody always had this look on their face of amazement when they would ask her, what are you celebrating? And she would say something like, I'm celebrating life. She always had something to say that would make people think, Mm. you know, which was wonderful. Um, and then I, the last memory is um, when I was when I moved to San Diego, which was a, a little over three years ago. Louise lives in San Diego, and I became intrigued by San Diego when I came to visit her because of the trees. And she knew how much I love trees and how why I loved the fact that San Diego had a, this amazing climate and these beautiful trees everywhere. And so. What she said to me when I got here is, I'm going to, we're going to have fun and I'm going to show you all over San Diego. I want you to really get to know your town. And she wanted me to connect with people. She introduced me to people. She wanted me to connect to San Diego and to connect to my community. And she wanted me to really Mm -hmm. feel this connection. She knew that I had moved around a lot. My husband and I have been married 25 years and we, we've moved 22 of them, (laughs) you know, and, and so, um, she knew that, that I had sort of bounced around and, and Louise believed in connection. And so Mm -hmm. she really created this home by connecting me to people and places and experiences in San Diego. And, and it became, 
the um, the greatest uh, community that I've ever felt like I lived in. And it really, it's really become a place that feels like home to me in a way that it's not so easy to leave, even though I'm adventurous and I love moving and all of that. I feel like I have a home and a community here. And I really attribute that to her and her knowledge that that's incredibly important to have a, um, a community for your health and for your life. That's all. You have me laughing throughout it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I do. I do. Oh, yeah. She sounds like an amazing person. And yes. definitely, even though I didn't meet her, I just her energy and the person that she was, you could just feel you could feel that within you. Yes. You didn't, she was very playful. She was in, in, you know, up all the way up to the, she loved to laugh and she loved to be playful. And it reminded me as this person who became very serious and this sort of adult <laughs> to, to go back to who I really was, which was, I'm actually a very playful person too. And when Aww. I get excited, I jump up and down and, you know, Louise would look at me and she'd go, you're not enthusiastic at all, are you? And she'd start laughing. And so, you know, she always had this ability to, to bring that joy and that, that mischief mm. into everyday life so that people could experience laughter. Mm. We forget sometimes to be children and to be, um, to forget that, that we're, that things are serious in life and, and laughter can be one of the greatest healers. And she really, um, I think personified that for me and helped me bring that back into my life. Oh. I love that. And if if Louise was sat next to you right now, what one message do you think she'd like you to share with the listeners? Ah, wow. Um, <laughs> I think I think that she would say, "Stop scaring yourself and all as well." Mm, yeah. You know, that was one of the things that she said a lot. That sometimes got lost in so many of her other beautiful teachings is that we scare ourselves with our thoughts. Mm. And that is, what is that? That's stress. And what happens when we get stressed, it's epigenetically not good for us. And so if we could stop scaring ourselves and know that we could trust the process and that all is well, trust that unseen instead of feeling like we have to control it all the time. You know, she, she was much more than, than the godmother or mother or queen of affirmations or of the (laughs) self-help movement and all the titles that everybody gives her. She was much more than that. She was really, um, a person who helped us understand what healing could be like on all levels for food, for mind, for body. Um, and she did it in such, in a way that was so simple for people to understand. And so I think this, this idea of, um, you know, in the dark of night, when we're most of the time waking up in the middle of the night and we're, we're at our most scared about whatever's going on in our lives, it's just to stop, stop doing that, you know, mm. stop scaring ourselves and, and just trust the process. Mm. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Um, and say if any of my listeners who didn't listen to the last interview, where can they find you? They can go to heatherdane.com and I also have a radio show on Hay House Radio. So if you go to hayhouseradio.com, it's on Tuesdays at 12 noon um, Pacific, which is what, 8 o'clock p.m. Um, UK time yes. and uh, it's 7 o'clock p.m. GMT. It's amazing and show. What was that? I'm just saying it's an amazing show. So like, guys, Oh, you thank do... you. Thank I, you. I... You'll be on. Yeah. <laughs> listen in so (laughs) you'll be on and um and also um the people can find me at my facebook page um at heather dane medicine woman i am very likely about to create a community because um as louise passed 
I realized that one of the ways that I got through this was my community. And I feel like we all need to have community of like-minded oddballs and generational pattern shifters and all of us who feel so alone. And so I'm, I'm creating a wolf pack (laughs) and, um, and so that we can all run together, all of us oddballs. And, and so I will very likely soon on Facebook be creating a community and trying to find ways. And I'm asking, um, asking people to share what they feel they need in order to, to connect so that I can try to bring as many of those aspects to this community where we can, um, we can recreate a blue zone type life where we have each other's backs. That is beautiful. Hey, thank you again. I've just, I just love talking to you. <laughs> it's amazing. Again. <laughs> oh, I love talking to you too. <laughs> oh it was, yeah. Thank you for sharing everything. It, it was just mind blowing. Even last time was mind blowing, but this one was even more mind blowing. Um, <laughs> And thank you for just sharing the work that you do because it is so important. And I know that my listeners, guys, like do check out Heather's website and get in contact because Heather, you're just awesome. <laughs> thank you. I feel the same about you. Oh, I'll talk you. to you anytime. <laughs> oh, bless you. Wow. <laughs> I have no words again. Heather, you just blow my mind every time we have a chat or we have an interview. It's just amazing. And I just love the work that you're doing and you know the way you're changing lives it's just beautiful so guys do check out her website and if any of you guys are going through any health problems do do check out heather's website and give her a shout because she can help you in ways that not many of us can from that intuitive side unfortunately that's the end of the show don't forget that you can find me on facebook and instagram at get inspired with girds you can find me on twitter at i am girds and also i want to leave you with this quote Fall in love with taking care of yourself, mind, body, spirit. Take care and I'll see you next week. Bye.